This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 16, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The Disclose Act is an end run around the Citizens United free speech ruling from the Supreme Court, but where it attempts to use disclosure as a club to wield against groups that might say controversial things in public, that's not the only way the act stifles free political expression. John Samples, director of the Cato Institute Center for Representative Government, explains. Supreme Court hands down a major decision in January, Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission. It opens up uh, political speech and spending on speech in big ways. Groups with corporate form, nonprofits, businesses, labor unions, uh, all get to pour money into campaigns to generate speech. Now, from Congress's point of view, that's not necessarily a great thing. So really what we see now is a scrambling around by Congress to try to respond to that Supreme Court decision and uh, to restore the status quo ante, to try to make the world the way it was. And that's what the Disclose Act's about. Uh, Basically what the Supreme Court left them with was one major tool to try to control uh, speech and a couple of minor ones. Uh, The major tool which was explicitly supported in Citizens United is disclosure. So the Disclose Act uh, does indeed have lots of different kinds of disclosures uh, for spending by largely corporations. That is, uh, for example, people, corporations that support ads, their CEOs will have to go on uh, and uh, say they explicitly support the message. There's the top funders will have to be supported. It's really a lot of disclosure that uh, as much as is included in the contributions area, at least in the past. Um, but I think that's not what they're counting on really to uh, deal with Citizens United. Uh, there's a couple of prohibitions in the bill as it stands now. One is a prohibition on government contractors. And the law defines government contractors pretty broadly. If you do anything for the government, basically, and you're a business, you provide a good, a service, you're a government contractor. And since the bottom uh, here is $50,000 to make you uh, eligible under the law, that is, eligible in the sense that if you provide that much business with government, you cannot... Uh, engage in funding speech, funding direct advocacy of the election or defeat of a candidate. Uh, The result is that some people estimate that most of the Fortune 500 will be considered in one way or another a government contractor. Think, for example, of pharmaceutical companies that provide and sell drugs to Medicare. And then just think about all the different things that government does Uh, From a congressman's point of view, you get a long way back toward a ban on corporate spending by simply banning government contractors. Now, from the legal point of view, the problem is uh, while bans on government contractor contributions have in some cases been upheld, and certainly there's a ban on contributions by government contractors at the federal level now, uh, this... Law does not address that. It doesn't address contribution. It addresses general spending on speech. So it's almost certainly unconstitutional. So this is the kind of, I say, scrambling around. This is an attempt to get through the November elections, really. On specifically the issue of disclosure, 
there are triggers, that is, certain kinds of spending on certain kinds of speech are going to trigger disclosure, and mm -hmm. other kinds of spending on other kinds of speech will not trigger disclosure. Mm -hmm. And uh, to what extent are the corporations uh, that will be required to uh, disclose uh, certain spending, are they provided incentives to act one way or another? Well, I think in general, yeah, there's the, the, the whole complicated issue of trying to figure out where you are on one side or the other of the spending is part of the problem. That it's essentially just a way of trying to make it complicated. And therefore, you know, one thing Congress learned from uh, the 527 de uh, debates of a few years ago is that it's somewhat easy to Im intimidate business uh, corporations in particular. They, they were intimidated because they weren't sure certain kinds of spending was legal or illegal in 2004, 2006. So if to some degree you can create uncertainty, that's probably good for your side if you're a member of Congress. Uh, and the other thing I think is the sheer act of adding disclosure and all of that and going public and being in the public spotlight is one that they Congress hopes will add cost to being involved in politics and will therefore deter the speech. Uh, there, it's a blunt instrument. They're hoping publicity is just costly to corporations uh, and maybe some nonprofits. But the bottom line for the First Amendment is that inevitably those costs that Congress wants to impose on corporations will disproportionately affect smaller groups that want to speak effectively. Oh, sure. I mean, that's the big effect of this will be on people who are smaller who don't, and therefore uh, have harder time spreading the cost along and have fewer resources to begin with. The other people that will be affected, as always with this kind of thing, is people who aren't experienced, people who are First, uh, for the first time they're getting involved, maybe small business owners or, you know, incipient groups that want to get involved and find that there's this, these legal issues. It's more complicated for them. The Chamber of Commerce, uh, you know, has come out against this, but they are, uh, and I have also talked to some people work, who work for larger, more experienced corporations. They aren't particularly worried about the disclosure part of it. Uh, but I think it'll be harder for those who uh, suddenly find that they're in this legal web. There is also, within the Act, requirements about how certain pieces of advertising be tagged. Mm -hmm. And they're in a 30-second spot in which mm -hmm. you are trying to make a point. Mm -hmm. The uh, amount of that ad that has to be devoted to some sort of uh, disclosure can fundamentally harm your ability to communicate effectively through that medium. Well, they, they stipulate, and it is an interesting from a speech standpoint, they stipulate exactly the words you have to say in terms of uh, a disclaimer for the ad. That has to be there from your CEO or the head of a group. You have to also at the same time reveal a, a number of funders, at least in the original legislation. Interestingly, they also say, you know, if this turns out to be a problem, if it takes up too much of the time in the, uh, the ad, then the Federal Election Commission is empowered to decide that it's too much of a burden on speakers 
and that you can get an exemption from it, which is, I mean, it's hard to say which is the worst here. The Federal Election Commission is not exactly friendly to speech. It's not there to do that. Hasn't been, hasn't had a history of that. Or the de delegation of all of this authority um, to a agency to essentially decide what Congress itself, uh, or to deal with a problem Congress has created. I mean, it's bizarre. This is the same agency that a year ago had a government lawyer asserting that they did, in fact, under that federal law, had the right to ban certain books, uh, certain books provided via Kindle, and, and, and on a blanket basis. That's right. I mean, they asserted that that was the federal law. They understood that to be the federal law. And, of course, this is also the agency that Justice Kennedy said in, in uh, Citizens United had engaged in censorship, not of a theoretical sort with books, but of an exact sort in their rulemaking process. Uh, so it's if it weren't so, and weren't so important, it would be almost comical that uh, you're delegating to this group sort of delicate questions about First Amendment rights. John Samples is author of The Struggle to Limit Government and is director of Cato's Center for Representative Government. You can get your copy of the book at cato.org.